Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse Podcast, Explosions and Fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And today on the podcast, we're chatting with Lila Mev, the mini witch. Welcome to the show, Lila. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. We are so excited you're here. And to start it off, we'll we'll zoom out a little bit and just tell us a little bit about how you got into the TTRPG space and, you know, kind of how you got into this whole thing to begin with. So I got into tabletop gaming through a rather circuitous route. My husband has been doing Dungeons and Dragons for 20 years, I believe. Doesn't seem like we're old enough for that, but he says 20 <laughs> years. And I thought that Dungeon and Dungeons and Dragons was lame and was not interested. Um, <laughs> A common belief, I think, for folks as they enter into the space. <laughs> yes, but after months of badgering, I finally agreed that I would try one session. And after I did the one session, I didn't want to hear about it anymore. So I wrote up my character, a bard, and now painting small pieces of plastic on YouTube is my full-time job. So we can see how well it went. (laughs) (laughs) Do you consider now that you are more into it than he is now? Or is there still sort of an equal buy-in? Definitely equal buy-in. If it was up to my husband, we wouldn't use miniatures. So the only reason we use miniatures is because Mm -hmm. of me. But he is currently designing his own RPG. He runs a Patreon for lore for Dungeons and Dragons and characters for Dungeons and Dragons. So he is more into old school essentials and what are some of the other ones he says? The little brown books and into those like indie. Oh, Shadow Dark. That's the big one he's been on about. Okay, so so many things are happening in my head right now, but I'm going to try to get them all out. One... Do you think we could ever get him on the show? Oh, absolutely. He's in bed with both cats right now. So not right now. When Um, when you said that, I'm hearing like in cahoots with the cats, like he's plotting somehow. (laughs) No, it's just we live in a Victorian house and it gets really cold. And so, no, he's just cuddled up in all the blankets and just cats. Amazing. And then secondly, Um, I just want to say that I'm on your side. Aaron and I did a whole show once about the use of minis versus theater of the mind Aaron strongly falls I would say on the old school essential side of town but also Mm -hmm. on the theater of the mind and I just love minis so much I love terrain so much that for me half the mystique of the game is those components which is why I sought you out and why I'm still just thrilled that you're on the show with us right now I've always loved miniatures like small things as a child, I wanted to have one of those immaculate Victorian dollhouses that had like the little tiny tea sets with the teaspoons. And like, that's what I wanted to do growing up. And then somewhere that got lost along the way, I actually mm. went to my undergrad was in photography. My master's was in photography. I ran my own photo studio for 15 years and photography got to be a lot. It was not the best for my mental health. And so I just happened to start miniature painting and all of my love for little tiny delicate things was like, oh, we've been here the whole time. This is great. (laughs) You've ignored us long enough. Welcome back. There is no way as a child I could have saw this coming, even with my love of small tiny things. Um, But I'm very happy to be here now that I have found myself here. That's awesome. 
So I'm going to switch up the question that we have in here because I'm sure you get asked it a lot. So rather than ask you what you think somebody should start with from an equipment standpoint, a paint standpoint, I want to ask you, what did you start with? Oh, interesting. Okay. So I am a classically trained artist. Like I said, photography, like I said, undergrad in photography, master's in photography, my specialty in photography was lighting. When I was teaching photography, my favorite class to teach was lighting. And mm -hmm. so when I came into miniature painting, I came at it from a very artistic direction. And especially understanding light is so important for miniature painting, even if you don't know it. So I painted my first model and on the model, there was a glowing skull and I painted in object source lighting on my very first <laughs> model, having no idea that that was like a difficult thing that people struggle with. It was just, well, there is a glowing skull. Therefore there is light. So I will paint the light. And it just never, like, I just approached it so academically that I suppose that a lot of hurdles that other people have about like the fear of non-metallic metal. I'm like, well, yeah, that's how you, that's how reflections work. Like, I don't understand. And so <laughs> right. <laughs> I tell people that my first model had object source lighting and it, it makes sense for how I came to do miniature painting. But so. Uh, and also how you came to be a teacher of miniature painting. Yes, my teaching definitely comes from having taught at the collegiate level. So now I do private lessons. I love teaching at conventions. And so everything that I have done, even though it was a very like roundabout way to get here, has really all converged here in miniature painting and teaching miniature painting. That's great. So you mentioned the glowing skull. What was the rest of the miniature or was it just a glowing skull? So it was a whiz. I don't, I don't. Oh, it was a Reaper Bones guy in a suit of armor holding a mace with a flaming skull on the end. And I didn't know anything about painting armor at the time. But so I looked up metallic paint. So I went, walked to my local game store, got some Citadel uh, metallic paint, painted it silver, and did a black wash and went, this is awful. <laughs> and was and immediately started doing research on how to paint better metallics and then started mm. attempting non-metallic metal <laughs> because great. i've everything that i've done has always been like hyper realism all of my photography has been hyper realism even when i've done drawing it's been hyper realism and so i wanted my miniatures to look like tiny worlds not like mm. like i've always painted to display quality like yeah i use them in dnd but like every piece is a little work of art and i've always approached them that way so i did my first metallics with the wash and said this no this is not for me like i've seen what people are doing <laughs> on the internet and it's not this so how do i go mm. do that <laughs> <laughs> that's great Sorry, there's so many questions. You know, I as long as that pauses because there are so many questions and not, wow, this is awful. No, oh, no, we amazing. have plenty of questions. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of which way to take it. <laughs> okay, so 
do you regularly play D and D at this point? Like, are you in a, an active campaign? Or are you regularly? Yes. Let's see. I have been playing Dungeons and Dragons every Saturday for the past. 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 22, 23, seven years. Nice. Wow. So awesome. two amongst two different tables, but our current table has been going for five years. And we've done Dungeons and Dragons 5E for all of them, except for our most recent campaign. Like I said, my husband loves designing tabletop hmm. RPGs. So we are currently running very much a 5e heartbreaker but different enough that it's not really 5e anymore so where i'm going with this is do you are you the dm or are you just a player and sorry not just a player are you a player that's a valuable (laughs) thing to say i have dm'd before Mm -hmm. when i was a kid i wanted to be an author which is probably why dungeon dragons click so well for me and why my husband was Mm -hmm. like no lila you you need to do this like he he knew all i needed was one session and he was correct but so i have dm'd in the past Mm -hmm. i dm'd for only about a year but since i have been doing youtube full-time i just absolutely do not have the time because i when i'm dming i like to do like political intrigue and Mm. like multiple bad guys with Mm. different Mm -hmm. angles and like what i was imagining too is as a expert mini painter you may go down the rabbit hole of having to paint every npc and every (laughs) bad guy and every uh tree and bush that would happen Oh, goodness, no. That that could be a trap. <laughs> no, there's a running joke in the campaign that all of the bad guys are women because I prefer to paint women. So all <laughs> of the really awesome miniatures are all women. So all the bad guys are women. <laughs> that's, mm. that's what we have. <laughs> so I have a question that's off script and it just came in my head. And this is going back to the whole debate of theater of the mind versus miniatures and props. Okay. And this is a general advice question. So how do you keep it so that players don't get all excited as well they should about seeing certain props or minis and think of that thing is super important. They have to spend a lot of time on that thing or just recognizing that's just you moving the story. Lila, I need your help on this one. Cause this is his main argument against the use of miniatures. He's like, if you paint an amazing bridge, then you're going to railroad your players to go across that bridge. Hmm. So I paint so frequently for YouTube that we are basically using like the beginner miniatures that I started before Mm. doing YouTube (laughs) because I haven't painted anything that could be used for Dungeons and Dragons. Like it's all Warhammer, Space Marines, or it's just too fragile to go into the case. Mm. So if I pull out a special mini, then it, then it is oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) i have this box that i've painted all black that we'll put on the table and uh, that's like the you you know usually there's like the big boss fight coming like you know you're hyped up already like what's in the box what's in the box there's the black box (laughs) and the players are just like it's the box it's the box and so (laughs) 
But then when I'm doing those models, I'm not allowed to post them on Instagram because everybody follows mm. me, of course. Uh, yeah. But so it, I got to keep it a big surprise for the table. So we'll unveil the model, lift up the box. And but your, that's when you know that. Reserve. Yeah, so we, we have two box. things here, Brian. You just have to have the surprise, like she mentions, okay. and then paint as much as Lila. So be paint funny. every week. <laughs> Lila, how often do you actually end up painting? Is it every day? I usually have like on and off weeks where like there'll be one week where I'll paint for eight hours every day. And then the next week we'll be editing for eight hours every day. But I probably paint, I would say on average, four hours a day. That's That's awesome. awesome. Wow. Okay. My question here is first a statement and then I want to get your take on it. But one of the things that I love most about painting minis is the hyper-focus flow state that I feel when I do it. I find it impossible to hold anything else in my mind other than just getting the brown paint just on the belt and everything else goes away. Is that something that you feel? Is that a normal thing to feel? And how do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. That is why I started doing miniature painting and not doing photography I started doing photography when I was 16 and I very clearly was mentally ill. Nobody picked up on it, but <laughs> damn, they should have. I was not okay. <laughs> but basically, I ha- I have manic anxiety, which is probably why nobody picked up on it because I'm so frequently in the manic phase. Yeah, uh, they couldn't get a word in edgewise to even ask you. But yeah, so like the sky's the limit. I'm absolutely obsessed. I'm doing everything. I'm staying up all night working and just so happy and excited about life. But then the crash from that was also very severe. And Mm. as I got older and was able to get my mental health and everything under control, that crash was still attached to photography. Like even if a photo shoot just marginally didn't go well, I would still be sobbing and even though I was doing so much better, I I just couldn't separate the two. And so I started doing miniature painting and I realized I could strip a model like five times and be totally fine. And every time I stripped that model and started over, I was just as excited to do it as I was the first time I painted it. And I was like, holy fuck, this is so much better than, <laughs> than the extreme emotions I'm having about photography. So Yes, that flow state is very much why I ended up doing miniature painting instead of photography. (laughs) That's awesome. So I have a question for you, maybe for advice for myself, but outside of TTRPGs, I also play the miniatures game, A Song of Ice and Fire. And although I have maybe painted a quarter of the pieces, my army is so big that it seems to take forever. So do you have any recommendations for bulk painting? So it's going to look good. But also, I can kind of get it out of the way. Do you have an airbrush? I don't yet. He's about oh, well, to, man, you're, I'm sorry, dude. But <laughs> <laughs> if I if you had an airbrush, I would have an amazing answer for you. Well, let's just pretend I do, and then I'm going to oh. buy one, and then it will apply. <laughs> okay, okay. Then in that case, what I would do is I would... What army do you play? Like, what are the colors... So uh, I am the free folk. So usually brown, white, you know, blood, all that stuff. So Okay, okay. Then in that case, I would base everything in a brown. 
Mm-hmm. And then do a white zenithal from above, and then maybe do like a lighter blue or something from above, just so that it's kind of more interesting. Cool. But specifically, hmm, you you have a difficult one. I'm trying to think about it. But basically, I would lean more heavily on my airbrush and mm-hmm. really go for building atmosphere instead of trying to paint each individual model so Mm. yeah a brown base maybe oh you know what maybe you could do a blue base and then do oh yes that's the right answer okay navy blue base white zenithal from above and Mm -hmm. then do like a orangey taupe ink from above and so the blue will make the shadows more interesting. It'll also make them feel colder because they're up north. And then doing something in the orange family, but leaning more brown will make the models more interesting because blue and orange are complementary colors. But using the inks should help the two blend together really well. So you should be able to like do the zenithal on all of them and then go back through individually and pick out like the faces or the weapons or anything like that. And so really leaning on the feeling of that army instead of trying to paint each one individually. I love that. Thank you. Because that'll save me like 80 minis of having to paint really aggressively. And also Brian, orange and blue, modern cinema's favorite. Am I right? (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Uh, I just did a video on that. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) That was an amazing answer. And based on what I know about Aaron, he's going to send me a picture of his new airbrush at about noon tomorrow. (laughs) I love, love airbrush. Love it. Yeah. As you described your kind of like hyper-focused state, it was reminding me a lot of Aaron. I think that you two maybe are cut from the same cloth. And what I love about this, or I guess maybe we'll say the amazing part about this is the productivity output that can be the result of this. It's like once you get your focus going, you get amazing results Mm -hmm. in quantity. So cool. That's an interesting video for a video. Exactly. (laughs) I want to ask you, what is one of your favorite or maybe most popular episodes of your of your YouTube channel? Um, My let's see. Unfortunately, my favorites and most popular are not the same, which I think is a shame. My (laughs) most popular are the like most basic tips I wish someone had told me about miniature painting. And so uh, my top two videos are one on the airbrush. So everything I wish people told me about airbrushing. And then the other one is just basic miniature painting. And both of them break down the subject in a way that I might originally have thought was surely too stupid to break it down to this point, but obviously (laughs) not. You can never be too simple, too basic, I think. Yes, I, uh, I had a very lovely student several years ago, and the questions he was asking me was, and I was like, oh, wow. You know what? I didn't think we had to talk about that, but apparently we have to talk about that. And then I made this video and yes, we do clearly need to talk about this because it (laughs) exploded on YouTube. So, but I think that comes from being like a a professional and being somebody that paints all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one of the reasons I love doing lessons and classes because people will ask questions and I'm like, 
I have never thought about that or I do it so intuitively that I just don't think about mm. it. And so when people ask me those questions, even if, yeah, okay, between you and me, they're stupid questions. I'm like, that. just because they're stupid doesn't mean they're not valid. So it's like, you know what? I mm. don't know where you got that concept from, but we're going to fix it. And thank <laughs> you for asking me. That. We're going to back way the hell up here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, I, I met one of my private students at a convention and um, he was sitting right next to me at the class that I was teaching and he took a spray bottle out and started spraying the top of his wet palette paper. And I was just looking at him like with horror of what, what, what are you doing? And he was like, well, I'm wetting my palette. And I'm like, I could see, but, but why? And he's like, oh, this isn't how you do it. Like, at least he didn't spit on it. Yes, I've never seen anyone take a spray of of like plant mister. It was a very pretty glass plant mister. Oh, he was probably so proud of that. (laughs) (laughs) But so you know what? Maybe I'll have to make a video on that one day of like all the new things that I've learned that you should not do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. The top 10 things that I never want to see you do. You know what? That's a good video. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so piece of advice question. It's not about how to paint, but about I'm um, thinking on your story earlier, we talked about how you painted the armor incorrectly in your mind and you didn't think it looked good. How do you translate going from having that thousand yard stare of, oh my God, how much time did I spend on this miniature to it's a happy little accident. Let's just do this all over again. Hmm. When you say happy little accident, do it all over again. Do you mean happy little accident and we're just going to continue it? It could be either one. It could be that you're going to just like actually just go through with the changes that you made like free flow mm-hmm. style, theater of the mind, you know, roll with it, improv, or literally paint it over again with another, you know, type of primer or something and then starting over. But how do you keep that mental focus of not breaking down after spending so much time on a painting and then kind of going and re-motivating yourself to finish it? Sure. So first of all, tangentially related to your question, I always recommend doing the most difficult part of a model first. So if you suck at faces, do faces first. Because then if you fuck up your face and you need to strip the model, because I have done (laughs) that, I have messed up a face so bad that I've had to strip the model, then at least I haven't lost everything else. Whereas if you've done the cloak and the jacket and everything's perfectly blended and then you mess up the face at the very end, it's going to be so much more heartbreaking. So do the hardest thing first. That way, if you mess it up, it's not as big of a deal. There may Um, be some uh, really solid life advice in there as well. (laughs) Happy to help. You know what? If my miniature painting advice can go beyond small pieces of plastic, that is like the best day for me. But otherwise, I look at a model and I try to think, am I going to be able to look at this and be happy with it when I'm done? And sometimes they are just happy little accidents. In my most recent competition piece that I was working on, I was trying to do extra detail in the eyes. So I had a dark color and then a lighter color iris. So, and you have to make the lighter color 
light enough that shows up so that that outer ring is darker, but not too light because they are really small and you have to make sure that it's not as bright as the white of the sclera, blah, blah, blah. So I was going like real hard on these eyes and I was trying to do the eyeliner and I totally fucked it up. And I was like, what are my options? This eye is perfect. This eye is really close, but since it's a competition, it's not good enough. So what I decided was that instead of stripping this eye, I just embraced it and put a big scar down this eye and then <laughs> repainted some of the scleras to be red. So then it's like, she's got a big battle wound right here. That's great. I Done. Love that. so, it's, kind of, it's also almost like the flow state too, right? It's like, you're totally in the middle. And then you, it, cause this is what happens when I paint minis too. I'm building the story as I'm painting. Yes. Like why this color? Why is it torn? Is it in perfect condition? And you're just like building it. And then sometimes the paint helps you figure out what the story is. Yes. I love doing those little details of putting dust on the bottom of the cape. So it looks like they've been going through the woods or blood splatter. Mm. Or if I'm doing a diorama, like I want to add like little footprints for how the model <laughs> got to where they're standing. But a quick side note, whenever you do mess up, blood and mud cover like everything. So if you ever mess up on a blend or you have like that one speck of dust where it's not supposed to be, put some mud on it. If blood you have splatter. mold lines that you've missed and they're on the skin, paint them to be scars. If you <laughs> fuck up one eye, they're only they're just blind in that eye. Just roll with it. I think those are all of my like top embrace the chaos that is occasionally miniature painting so uh, yeah put some blood on it <laughs> <laughs> there's been an ongoing conversation or theme i think in the folks that we've spoken with and a lot of it is around mental health and it's interesting because i feel like there's a there's a really big component of the hobby that can be helpful for mental health and then there is also especially when we talk about dming a part of the hobby that can be really a threat to your mental health <laughs> especially when it comes to over preparing so i love your candor in that category uh one question related to your youtube fame do people recognize you in the wild and if so when that happens do you run <laughs> so the first year i went to adepticon as lila mev i had been previously but i wasn't on youtube yet but so the first year that i went to adepticon and was like marginally famous in the field i had people the first part the first person who came up to me was like oh my god i love your videos and i was so excited because yeah. i i wasn't that big yet but someone knew who i was and the more they were talking the more that i realized that they thought that I was Dana Howell. And <laughs> <laughs> so it goes from this amazing moment to this like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And so I messaged Dana Howell like, hey, someone thought I was you. But the thing is, is it happened like three more times. So and those the first people I met, so the first four people I met all thought I was Dana Howell. Misidentified so like, you. <laughs> I was like motherfucker <laughs> and then i had one guy swing back around he was like hey i realized you're not dana howell and i was like no <laughs> but at a depth but they must know you they must see you and know you especially at a con right those are your people right 
Well, all those people had recognized me from YouTube enough to know of, oh, I know you. Just mm -hmm. I was not quite famous enough that they knew me from Dana Howell. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the two white women painting miniatures. <laughs> That's right. It's so a lot. <laughs> they were close. And then one time, this is actually a wild story. I was at a Renaissance fair. And all of a sudden, through the crowd, I, ha I hear, hey, you, witch. And I turn around, and I'm like, the likelihood of it uh, being at a Renaissance fair, of it could be Lila Mev the mini witch, or it could just be someone screaming witch. <laughs> at, at a random woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, at a random woman at a Renaissance fair. Like, either of these fit. And so <laughs> I turned around, and no, he knew me, Lila Mev. Hmm. The mini witch, and I was so excited. It's the first time, first time I've ever been recognized, like outside of Adepticon. But so the next year at Adepticon, I was hanging out with Brent from Goobertown Hobbies and Casey from eBay Miniature Rescues, and was telling them this story. And then from behind me, I hear, "Oh yeah, that was me." And I what? turned around. It's the same fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> I could and I recognized him because he was he was like a five foot with bleach blonde hair and a bunch of piercings. So it's like, yeah, it's the same guy. And <laughs> all three of us were just like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, so so yeah, occasionally I get recognized and I'm always so excited when I do. It's like it makes my day. People are like, Oh, I don't want to come bother you. I'm like, please come bother, bother me. me. Please, please come tell me that I'm famous. Like, Adepticon's the only day that I get to be like, do you know who I am? <laughs> so please, please come pester me about me being marginally famous. That's the thing that trips me out about, you know, folks like you. In, in the world that you're in, everybody knows you. But outside of that world, nobody knows you. It's like this weird sort of anonymity at the grocery store, but like celebrity status at a con or apparently at a Renaissance festival. At our local, at the local gaming store, they don't know who I am. Mm, that's fine. <laughs> I went to, uh, so Army Painter accidentally sent me three speed paint boxes. Mm. I don't know why there was just a mix up. So they sent me three of them. So I gave one of them to a friend and I took the other one to the local game store to see if they would buy it off me. And I was explaining or they wanted to know why I was selling it. And I said, oh, Army Painter sent me three. So I'm seeing if you'll buy one. And the, the woman at the counter is like, why? You accidentally ordered three from Army Painter and now you're selling me one. No army painter sent me three boxes and she just like kept looking at me like why would army painter send you box boxes of paint like no they didn't you're just some random person and you're trying to sell me boxes of paint and i'm like i am <laughs> so far from running from your fame you're like demanding it like no i'm actually famous <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So for our final question, and this one usually trips people up. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> but not you. What didn't we ask you that we should have? Or what else do you want to talk about? Ooh. Oh, fuck. 
<laughs> For beginners, Proacryl or Reaper, you want to get the Windsor Newton Series 7 round sable brush. The only Kickstarter I've ever backed was Ultracryl Paints, so I recommend them. There should be more badass women miniatures. <laughs> Go subscribe to me on YouTube and support me on Patreon. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> and yes, I, I really do hope that we can learn more about your husband's Kickstarter and all the things that he does as well. He doesn't and do the, Kickstarters, but he oh, is on Patreon. Patreon. Am I, oh, awesome. I'm Patreon. Yeah, yeah. I just don't want to send like a false barb because he is not doing a case. Oh, don't worry. Aaron will edit that out. Every flub I've ever had on this podcast, Aaron edited it right out of there. Sure do. Perfect, perfect. Okay, thank you. Yes. If my husband was paying attention, I would invite him in. If you've seen me <laughs> on other things, it'll be, I'll just shout, hey, James, and he'll come running in. And so the only reason he's not here now is because he is covered with cats. Absolutely. Yes, my cats are Mochi and Cardamom, and they are very good boys. <laughs> nice <laughs> cardamom one of the best spices for sure oh yes cardamom i think is like the third most expensive spice in the world and that yes. perfectly sums up the prince that is cardamom <laughs> cardamom's nice. a bard and mochis are barbarian and right. my previous cat who has unfortunately passed away misha was a wizard yep he was too smart. Nothing in con, everything in intelligence, and it ended as one would expect when you dump con. Oh, man. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> That's great. Well, Lila, thank you again for joining us. It's been a true pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. This was wonderful. I had so much fun. We did, too. This is great. And thanks, everybody, for listening this week. Please check us out on our Instagram or at our website, infernalschoolhouse.com. Oh, and we sell stuff on Etsy, too. Thanks, thanks everyone. everyone. Bye.